And welcome to Sullivan Stories with your host, Tom Castle. And our very special guest this week is Captain Tiffany Crewan, the longest-serving captain of the Dennis Sullivan in history. <laughs> How you doing, Tiff? I'm great, Tom. How are you? Just fine, just fine. Yeah, I didn't think about that. You've been, God, you, you have been the captain of the Dennis Sullivan longer than anyone. What do, yep. you, what, what do you owe your, um, uh, that record to? You mean the reason I stayed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it was always the volunteers, the program, and the crew. It was always those three things. And I love, I love Milwaukee. It's, it's home. You know, there's something about it from my first time I was there in 2003 that it instantly felt like home. So. Oh, wow. Where are you now? Uh, right now I'm in Maine. I'm in Booth Bay. Harbor, Maine. I'm actually looking at the Ernestina Morrissey from my little makeshift uh, office here at, at the at the shipyard. Um, but then I I reside in New Bedford now, and I work for Massachusetts Maritime Academy, which is right at the canal of onto Cape Cod. Oh, fantastic! And where are you from originally? Erie, Pennsylvania. Oh, there's a few tall ships there. Yep. <laughs> Good sailing. <laughs> For those people that might not be um, familiar with Ernestina, uh, can you tell a little bit of a history of that ship? Sure. She has a, an amazing lineage. She was built in Gloucester, well, actually in Essex, Massachusetts, in Jack and Tar Shipyard, and she launched in 1894, and she was a Grand Banks fishing schooner, um, and she fished for, unfortunately, I'm still not really good at the history overall, like time period. But for several decades, and then she was uh, trading back and forth between Nova Scotia and the United States, where Bob Bartlett, Captain Bob Bartlett, bought her, and then he outfitted her to take her up to the Arctic to do some uh, exploration and some research. And then during World War II, he was uh, taking supplies up to the bases up there and also doing some research with the Navy with the ship. And then... Um, she was retired from that and then some people wanted to take her to like the south pacific to do trading between the islands and they were getting ready to do that and i think they left and it was just like a horrible experience so they came back and the boat actually caught on fire um and they they sunk her to put out the fire and then she was raised and went to salvage and uh, a gentleman from uh, cape bird islands uh bought her and restored her as best he could and then was doing trade with her from the United States to Cape Verde and back and forth with also taking passengers or immigrants more so immigrants and passengers she did that all the way till the 70s and then uh -huh. became an educational tall ship like so many of the other vessels under Captain Dan Moreland's guidance and you know got her certificate of inspection and started sailing for both education and for just pleasure sailing with passengers oh fantastic um she's really big isn't she <laughs> <laughs> well they're always big out of the water um yeah she's 110 on deck she'll be about 156 157 um uh, sparred you know from the end of the jaboom to the end of the mate with her topmast up i think maybe 105 feet oh, amazing a 12 yeah. 12 foot draft 24 foot beam wow <laughs> fantastic yeah it was an interesting rig uh, you just had 
all kinds of work done, right? I mean, you've, you're, you're the head of like a multi-million dollar, you know, rebuild, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, she's been here at the at the shipyard coming on seven years is my understanding. And probably when it's all said and done, I've heard anywhere from nine million to eleven million dollars to restore her. Wow. And we're in the home stretch. The the new lower masts are built. Um, the new main boom, which is sixty eight feet, is built. Uh, and so as the gaps for both the four and the main and the new four, like almost all the spars are actually all the spars are new. We don't have our top mast yet because. Um, we have to get either get more lumber or figure something else out. Well, hopefully <laughs> that won't be a problem. So going back, going back to your history, um, where and when did you start out? And, um, you know, what were you doing when you first started sailing? Well, growing up in Erie, Pennsylvania, it has this beautiful natural harbor, Presque Isle Bay. And uh, at the far west end of it is the Erie Yacht Club, and that's where my grandfather had his power vessel. Not a sailing boat, but a power boat. So um, I like to call myself binautical. I like, I, I like all, all boats. Um, is that poly then? Polynautical? I think so. I yeah. I... Polynautical would be more accurate. I've had but, multiple seasons in Chicago where I was I was devoting my time really halfway between uh, relief captaining a couple of schooners and uh, and then captaining uh, some of the old 1950s twin Detroit diesel you know tour yeah. boats and I love I love them both it's like it's two great traditions and yeah it's funny because sometimes when you get um, uh, especially people associated with replica sailing ships and they'll say you know the tradition of this vessel goes back 20 years and uh and i was on a, a 1950s tour boat on the river and the owner's son was i was teaching him how to how to drive the boat and uh, his father had learned to drive on that boat and his grandfather had <laughs> had designed the boat with the nautical architect and it was okay. built in chicago and i'm thinking about I got three generations of people on this boat and it's, you know, it's a really interesting experience and Hey, Joseph Conrad did power boats. So give me a break. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, my grandfather's boat was there and, uh, he insisted us grandkids take sailing lessons more from the approach of just water safety awareness. Um, but he also liked to sail too, but he didn't own a sailboat. So of us, um, I have, two sisters, a brother and a cousin. And it just really took for me. I just enjoyed sailing right from the beginning. They all, we all did, but I just really, you know, found that connection when I was 10 years old and just haven't looked back. So how did you get from a uh, power boat in Erie to all these tall ships around the world? Well, when I was in college at Edinburgh University, I was a sailing instructor at the same school that I learned, uh, the Rayburn Sailing School. And it's a little bit more than just a camp. Um, it was just, you know, competitive racing and teaching sailing. And I was also working at a, a company up in Buffalo in the off season, uh, building spars because I used to like racing sailboats. And I wanted to teach on keelboats, but to have to teach on a keelboat with a motor, you have to have a license. So that's how I got my first license 25 years ago, if you can believe that. And yeah, I can't. Uh, where did that time go? Um, and then my first tall ship uh, 
that I worked on was Apple door number four. It came to Erie and they needed a mate, somebody who knew how to sail and had the license. So I did. I sailed as mate on Apple door four that first season. And I actually started driving a little bit towards the end. And all of a sudden I realized I like going slow on a sailboat, much more so than going fast. There's a lot less swearing involved. <laughs> really? Yeah, if you can believe it. Yep, absolutely. Wow. So what do you wish you knew when you started that you know now? Um, I, I wish I knew the process of licensing a little bit more than I, you know, what I know now and what I always tell young people that are coming up is, sure, go ahead and get your 100 ton, but get your AB at the same time. Your AB will make it so if you really love tall ships, you can go work on a big boat as an AB, you know, make some real money. And then, you know, on your off times, uh, go ahead and sail on tall ships yeah. and actually have a living. Um, so I wish I had gotten my AB either first or at the same time I got my first license. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. So it worked out. All right. Oh, yeah, definitely. As you've listened to all these different podcasts, you know, some of the other crew have been talking about books from uh, you know ashley's to manuals to uh, anthony bourdain <laughs> that brought that influenced nate bray marx to go to see which um, i think is a wonderful side route you know to come in on but um any uh books or movies or stories or or anything that really inspired you to begin with captain ron I have definitely met shipmates where we could, the two of us could sit there and recite the entire film. Yep. No question uh, um, there. I could do that. <laughs> and also, um, once I was in the industry, uh, one of the more helpful books I could think of is Andy Chase's uh, The Nautical Science. I should look up what the name of the book is. So we get it right. But Oh, yeah. There's um, um, uh, Andy Chase something or other operations of auxiliary sail vessels. and Yeah. That's a phenomenal book. Yeah. yeah, it really helped develop my uh, knowledge about all the aspects of a tall ship. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I love that book. Um, what is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Well, there's been so many of them. <laughs> 25 guess, years, yeah. Right. Uh, I'd have to say what I've learned. So in my, in my time, everybody will uh, claim your successes, but nobody will claim your failures. So you better learn the most from those and because you're going to own them. You know, no one else is going to take ownership of your failures. So, you know, just look back on them and, and try and learn from them and try not to repeat them. Um, I think one of my biggest failures was, as you know, how tricky it was to bring the Sullivan into what we called the East dock, the, the fixed dock. Um, I think this was my first year back. So it would have been the summer of 2009. And there's those crazy currents and, you know, here I am get, just about to get put on those rocks. And uh, I dropped the F-bomb in front of a little kid <laughs> and her, his mom. And uh, she wrote the CEO about it. And I would call that a huge failure because I'm usually pretty good about, you know, that stuff. <laughs> oh, that is the worst doc I've ever been to. Most, most definitely. Yes. And um <laughs> And I remember your kind advice when it, when it came to that particular harbor and that particular dock, which I, I appreciate greatly. Um, who do you think um, were your um, most significant mentors as you were going along? 
my first really big mentor in the tall ship industry was John Beebe Center. Even though I didn't sail on Niagara in a professional sense, I just went on as a volunteer. Um, I was captaining a little boat for the Bayfront Center of Maritime Studies in Erie. And he had captained that vessel early in his career as well. And this was early in my career. And he would come over and just talk to me. And he was just, just great resource. And so, you know, that's where my friendship with him started. And not only was he a good mentor, but he helped open up a lot of doors for me uh, in the industry. So I really owe it to him. And then there's been so many. Uh, Captain Deborah Hayes, um, his wife, uh, on Geronimo, and they sailed together in Niagara. They were very influential in my early career. Um, as was Captain Jan Miles, and you know, there's been so many. Uh, Captain Mark Crutcher, he's still like all the way up till just before I left. It, he was always a resource for me uh, for the Sullivan. I I call him up or email some form of communication, and I would say, you know, I'm having trouble finding the gasket for the watertight door into the engine room, and he would just spout like exactly what I needed. And you know, it's been how long that <laughs> this literally happened. Um, so, you know, there have been so many. I think one of the biggest things I've learned is to not burn bridges or if you're going to just really burn it really well. I think I burn I think I burn a bridge every five years. I figured it out. Yeah, like a like a colossal. Yeah, no coming back from. And um, I don't know if that's really all that smart, but it just feels so good that um, yeah, <laughs> I don't mind it at all. And yeah, I mean, the people, you know. When you get into a situation where it's like, you know, do you really, do you really regret burning that bridge? I don't know. Would you go back and work for that same company or those same people? Like, no. No. <laughs> so are you, are you really burning a bridge or not? I don't know. That's no. I guess when it comes to Discovery World, my hope was that they would contact me if they needed information. And that has been the opposite of what has happened. They have not contacted me when they should have. So. Yeah, I don't understand that. That's been a very, very strange thing. But I think it's kind of important to say. Um, I remember um, when I was doing Jimmy's interview, and I remember when we were sailing together back in 2007, and people would ask him, you know, passengers would say, you know, how do you get involved in tall ships? And he just said, well, do your job, don't complain, and take the smaller piece of chicken. And I brought that up to him in his interview, and he said, you know, I don't think that anymore. He said, I think you should do your job and definitely complain, because otherwise the same old stuff just keeps happening. Yeah. And it's not good for the, it's not good for the ship, it's not good for the program, and it's, it's not good for the, the crew or the passengers. It's like, don't be afraid to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what advice do you have for people who are interested in sailing, either as a profession or as a volunteer? Uh, it's going to be in the same as a lot of other people's. Just kind of get out there and, and see if it's for you. Um, you know, the, this type of lifestyle, whether you're going to do it full time, like somebody like myself or some other people, or just as a volunteer or part time, you just want to make sure it's a good fit and you're good with the tight closeness of the conditions and you don't get tired of people too easily because um, mm. as you know, you're with them all the time, uh, not a lot of privacy. So just, you know, really see if it's for you. And if it is, you know, it's, I've seen the most amazing things in my career. I've been to some really wonderful places that average people don't get to. And I feel so privileged uh, from 
you know, all these experiences that are so rare today, you know, go to places where there aren't a lot of uh, tourists, um, see stars out in the ocean, middle of the ocean, only, you know, those people that are way out there have experienced that. Yeah. I was doing uh, education programs in Chicago, especially. And uh, I think it was somebody on Inland Seas or who first said, um, the thing you want to do is you, if you're, especially if you're motoring out of the dock or, you know, through the Harbor, get out and then just turn the engines off and have them listen for like a yeah. minute, just listen. And it was, it was freaking kids out. It was really neat. Cause even, even in downtown Chicago, if you get a, a mile or two out, even it's really quiet. And, uh, and at night, of course it's magic. Right. Yeah. Clear night. And, you know, when you're up on Superior, Northern Michigan and Huron, you can see the Northern Lights so well, you know, just all these beautiful things we get to see. Oh, that's absolutely amazing. Is there a tall ship myth you'd like to debunk? I know the, the other ones are saying, you know, it's difficult to get into sailing or it's, uh, you know, you make so much money or you don't make any money or... <laughs> Or, you know, there are no women involved in, in sailing or you know, there's so many. It's just, you know, the, the, the perception that, you know, our jobs are easy and always fun and anybody can do them. So, you know, that would be the big thing. Like, you know, it looks like fun. It looks easy because we're all really good at this. No, really. Like, so like if you ever watch the Olympics and see somebody going down a hill and you know you're like oh i could do that right because they made it look so easy yep. it seemed effortless to them and so you know people assume oh it's just a boat and it's fun to be on a boat is it fun to be on a boat 24 hours a day for six days um it's not fun all the time it's actually a lot less fun than one would imagine it reminds me of my one of my first seasons with with my old captain john hood and he was you know he had this boat, he had just brought it back from the Caribbean and, uh, and he was a great host for people on board the ship and worked the crew really well. And then the other part of it was the engine work and laying down the bilges, trying to get the black water pump to go and yeah. being covered with a whole bunch of stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, I have definitely had to take apart heads many times in my career. Um, one year, we had somebody who consistently was swallowing the cherry pits and it was plugging up uh, the one head in the pilot house. I think I found like five or seven. I saved them. I put them in a little jar with alcohol. I think Johnny Slangus still knows where that jar is. I'm just picturing somebody in Discovery World finding the jar. Oh, there's <laughs> other fun jars in Discovery World. Do you remember the, the animal collection? Oh, yes. Yeah, they're still there. Animals in a jar collection. There's still about a dozen of them. Oh, my God. I love it. Um, what does the term shipmate mean to you? Uh, shipmate means somebody that you, got, you have their back, whether you're at sea or on shore. Um, it's somebody that you are concerned about their well-being, uh, especially mental well-being, you know. This job is hard and we're known to play hard and work hard, you know, but we watch out for each other. I've seen some really great intervention between shipmates 
before things became really bad. So yeah, shipmates means somebody you have your back for and they have yours and you might not always get along, uh, but you'll definitely be there when they need it. Mm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the thing is that this is spanning many seasons, so I, it's going to be tricky, but what's your, okay. Is I usually ask, what's your favorite Sullivan story, but I'll say, what are some of your favorite Sullivan stories? However many you want, whether you were actually in the story or not. Okay. Uh, the first one that comes to mind, I was thinking about it since I've listened to all the other casts. Um, it was back in 2003 and I was the second mate bringing her in the St. Lawrence Seaway. And of course, you know, we're tired. We're coming into New uh, to Lake Ontario, right at the Thousand Islands. And it just, as always, was just a rough, rough trip, cold. We would come back in April and May. Um, so not ideal time of year to be in Northern Canada area and then in the lakes. And so Captain Matt, Mark Crutcher, he's like, we need some sleep. So he found a spot where just enough wall that we could tie up in this little town. And um, look, he, that evening, you know, I was just grateful for the sleep. I didn't go anywhere, but sailors were sailors and they found the closest bar. <laughs> and uh, so what, what have you that evening? I don't remember, but Paul Pelican, whom you interviewed, was there, as was Captain Mark Crutcher. And I'm in my rack and I hear the engines go on. I'm like, what the heck? Uh, I don't know if Paul heard that or heard me get up, but I got up. Captain Mark Crutcher was getting the boat underway by himself. <laughs> no joke. He was throwing off dock lines. And and I just said, hey, Cap, you want me to help? He's like, all right. <laughs> so I just love that one. And another another one with um, Captain Mark is, I, I think it was 2000, it must have been 2003, tall ships in Chicago. He sailed her onto the dock by himself. No joke. Like, I mean, he had us crew to like strike sail, but he did everything. Um, to the dock lines he just had me stand by the helm in case he wanted me to turn and i never had to turn her i never had to do anything he literally sailed her onto the north side of navy pier you know the far the far outside and, yeah um sailed her onto the dock by himself whoa that's that's tricky winds and a whole lot of traffic yeah <laughs> yeah that was impressive you know he did the uh, dock line, you know, uh, tugboat dock line toss of the dock line too. It's not even a heaving line. He just did it and got it on. Like, that's impressive. That's a sailor. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> I only sailed the Sullivan onto a dock once. That was the East Dock. Oh. <laughs> In your youth, you'll do dumb things. Oh, that just makes me shiver. Oh, God. That is fantastic. Yeah. So those, uh, uh, let's see, some other fun. Oh, this one involves me and Amy Schaub. Uh, you should try and interview her. But it was my first, it was also 2003, when I first started captaining the Sullivan uh, as relief captain and mate for Mark Crutcher and um, John Lorenz. But it was Mark's uh, turn on the boat, and he turned her over to me. And we used to have this offshore um, 
warping line that laid across the bottom of the harbor. So before Discovery was there and Schooner Harbor was built, it was wide open. And so we rarely ever had to use this offshore mooring line. And Captain Mark gave me a little bit of advice. He's like, you know, you don't be afraid to use the throttles. I'm like, okay. So on our offshore mooring line, now it's been, no one remembered the last time it was used. So it had some growth on it, in it, how, what have you. And so I'm getting underway with full boat of people. And if you recall on the Sullivan, like when we're getting underway from the dock, we have everybody go to the opposite side for safety reasons. And so same thing. So all the passengers in this instance were on the starboard side and I'm coming ahead with both engines. And, uh, you know, Amy Schaub, she was acting as mate. She was second mate. She's taking up on the mooring line until we get to that, you know, that perfect moment where the strain starts to come on the offshore mooring line. And so then it's pulling us ahead and Captain Mark says, don't forget to give it throttle. So I did. And then, um, you know, it, it went all fine. Everything was great. I had never done that before. It was, it was from a career standpoint, really fun. But then Amy comes back to me completely covered in mud from head to toe. And she takes her aviator sunglasses off. And that's the only part on her that doesn't have any fun. <laughs> and so, but it's worse. So it, the mud got all the passengers, literally oh. got all the passengers that were close to the, to the number three dock line on the starboard side. It oh. was inside the galley going down. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh my god. I used a little bit of throttle. Yep. Yeah. That was... <laughs> it oh went off god. like it was beautiful. Like I knew what I was doing. That is perfect. That yep. is perfect. You should oh. definitely I'll get you Amy's contact and see if she can do the interview. Okay. She can, you know, confer this story. Oh. That is absolutely wonderful. There was another time on Lake Superior. Uh, it was a tall ship year, and we were sailing with Europa that year. Um, and there was a race from Duluth to Whitefish Bay, so the far east side of Superior. And it was, I don't remember how many days it, it took. In my mind, I want to say four, but that could be wrong. Um, but it was... At this, there's video on YouTube. Somebody got some really great video of us exchanging tacks before the start line. And then, you know, we both, we, we crossed the start line and um, the whole race, it was just, they would creep up ahead of us and then we would get up ahead of them and vice versa. And then um, we had a really great weather system on, on uh, the Sullivan and I saw some storms were on their way to us. So we took in our topsails and kind of prepared for it but then I saw Europa putting up their stencils I'm like oh no so I called them on the radio to let them know in case they didn't know this weather was coming and they said oh they'll be fine and it was just I mean they, it, you could see they were hurry taking them in once it hit it was a good you know how those storms come up fast um but the whole race was just phenomenal and we the captain I forgot who it was now but once we got to the next port and the, the you know the next event we we just really reminisced about what a great sale that it was. That's just exchanging places in the race back and forth. So yeah, Solomon's not a fast boat, but 
she's definitely a sturdy boat fantastic we won that race too so that makes it very memorable ah i love it i love it oh tiff thank you so much and, and thanks for being on sullivan stories if you are a past or current professional crew member and like to be on the podcast or just have a story you'd like to share, write to me at tom at tomcastle.com. That's T-O-M at T-O-M-K-A-S-T-L-E dot com. Captain, thank you so much for being on Sullivan Stories. Thank you, Captain Tom. Thanks for doing this, too. It's been really fun listening to these stories. Thanks so much. 